0: The opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the six talk podcast network also the following contains mature material and mild language which may not be suitable for all audiences discretion is advised for father's day sunday june 20th yes yeah, june 20th right are we sure about that yeah positive okay positive okay it's so not like june 19th
1: Are you sure it's on the 21st
0: the real question is what year is this <laughs>
1: 2021
0: <laughs> this is episode 45 the anime Roundtable canada presented by anime north happy father's day again good afternoon from six points 10 minutes south of the anime north compound in the toronto west end mike nicholas james austin kevin ng Shamarki and Jeff Gregg with you on this final day of spring. Yay, it's almost summer. A quick reminder again, you can contact us. Email animeroundtable at gmail.com, Twitter and Instagram at animeroundtable, animeroundtable.com for show notes and past episodes. We have a group on Facebook, and eventually we can talk a little Discord, Twitch, and YouTube in the future. Okay, do so you want to get right to it? Or is there something else you want to bring up?
2: Well, we do have a lot to get through, don't we, Mike? Let's do it, guys. I heard we're riding the train to start off. Yes, that
1: record-breaking training.
2: You you always seem to
0: try and find good segues, James. Cheesy segues. Dad joke-like segues.
3: Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there again. I thought you were going to say Happy Fathers did to James, but then
2: I was like, That would be <laughs> very odd. James would be a surprise for there. James. There's something there that would be a surprise.
1: <laughs> James got news for you. You are the father.
0: <laughs> okay, well, let's 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 get to business. I guess we should now. So, we're doing episodes on consecutive weeks because. As we finished up last week, we made this promise to do an episode where we catch up on some of the headlines in brief that we just haven't gotten around to talking about in more recent episodes. And while we're doing an all-bullets episode this time around, I get the feeling most of these are fairly recent in comparison to the others we have otherwise left behind and probably... Hopefully, we'll acknowledge in another episode to come. But we'll do our best as we begin with the Bullets. Presented in point form, but could become full essays. I think the reason we're being more recent with the selection we decided for this episode is mainly because the first few we're doing have a common thread. And if there's something we've been trying to do when talking about things in the last few episodes, it's about common threads. At Anime North, during the stay-at-home edition, we did bullets based on streaming services and a common yes-no theme. And by the way, the yes-no segment turned out a lot better than I thought. So I get the feeling we're going to be doing a lot more of that in the future, and it may become its own segment down the line. Last week's episode on on the topic of common themes, we started with music and then used it to transition into live action talk. So let's start the bullets with another common thread. And that thread is an often talked about one, not just here, but probably in much of the anime and manga fandom world, and that's Demon Slayer. I joked that these are presented in point form, but I get the feeling, whenever Matt Alt writes about things, and he did, ta- he did uh, write an article for the New Yorker about Demon Slayer and its popularity. We're going to be talking about it like an essay, maybe more of a cannonball than a bullet. Well, yeah, well, way way to play uh, way to play the line, Jeff. Okay. So let's start with that. Two days ago, yes, on the 18th, on Friday, Matt Alt put up an article, and it's on his Twitter, and we'll give the links. It was on the New Yorker website. He talked a lot at length about the popularity of Demon Slayer, and he gave a lot of interesting background about the popularity of Demon Slayer, how it's changed. Changed a lot of things, a lot of uh, about a lot of mainstream con- conceptions about anime, how popular it's become, and how. I, I, my interpretation is, like he, he he did acknowledge the Miyazaki aspect of that discussion. When we've we've made that joke, we made that had that discussion about Miyazaki looking at it as a rival, but he kind of went in depth into that thought. And when I, I came away thinking, the whole idea isn't totally far-fetched now. So, like, there, there's a bunch of ways we can start to approach Matt Alt's article on Demon Slayer. Where, which, where, where do you want to start? Anybody? Where, where, like, how, how far do we want to start into the article? Do we want to go basically in the topics he he talked about, or is there something that already grabbed your attention?
2: I guess it's an interesting thing that uh, Matt Alt uh, talked about. Just small nuggets in the New Yorker article, for example, when you said a rivalry, or that Miyazaki considers something like Demon Slayer may something newer a rival, or even maybe other orators that they talked to in different articles over the past year, like Tomino and stuff like that, that at least in Miyazaki's case, it's interesting because there's a different contrast between him and then how anime is made now. Like They look over everything, it's done all in Ghibli, and he is like Pinpoint, and they get independent financing, whereas everything that's in the normal mainstream and normal anime is done through the production committee and stuff like that and they're the ones at the head. And so it's kind of interesting talking about passing to the next generation. And it's like, well, what does that mean when we know how bad the animation industry is in Japan, stuff like that, and how they want to be on that production committee because they don't get to pull the purse strings or get to make those decisions. And others have talked about that for many months and, of course, previous years. I think going and this is where the heart of
0: where i'm beginning to think the whole rivalry thing isn't far-fetched. Miyazaki could always depend on degrees of commercial success, degrees of critical acclaim. And he's doing it his way and he ju- and seemingly he scoffs at at the standard production styles. But i think the success of something like Demon Slayer is a threat to his status quo the way he's been going about it this is like an affirmation that the machine style would you call the production committee style kind of like a machine a juggernaut of sorts it'll get you the money it's meant oh. to it's meant to get you money but now there now there's a bit of a claim and and the financial
2: success to go with it sorry did I interrupt somebody? No, I was just saying it's like, yeah, Acclaim, I guess, definitely probably is there. But the financial success is they hit more than a home run. And usually they're hoping just to get their money back and then a bit after that. So definitely they hit way more than they thought they were going to hit, even with the Acclaim of UFO uh, Studio and stuff like that being at the helm as well, known from uh, the Fate Day Night uh, animes and stuff like that. But they definitely hit it way out of the park compared to what they have. And it's almost like a once in a generation type thing. But the other thing interesting enough in that article was, as we said, this movie for Demon Slayer, it's not like if you go in, you're going to understand everything because it actually takes place after the TV series. And as one yep. of the quotes they said uh, from IndieWire, they said, "It's almost impressive how fast Mugen Train is able to completely disorient anyone who hasn't already know where it's going." So, and that's an interesting thing that maybe the pandemic helps this type of thing too, because as they said, maybe after that they're like, "What the hell did I just see?" And then they turn on to Netflix or Crunchyroll. And then get a full taste of it. It's like, oh, I see now. And then maybe they go back. Who knows?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting part. We talk about the whole merchandise mix. And when we talk about the mix, the mix can also, movies and television can be considered separate items in this mix. Right?
2: Mm-hmm. And people I... are definitely love the bingeable. And if they had an interest, right, they'll uh, dive in deep.
4: Jeff? I do think that this this article really um, sort of changed my my perspective on this kind of rivalry because I think you know at first you know pass the the idea of oh this this is a rivalry it's apples versus oranges you know really sort of came to mind but Madal's article really made me sort of recontextualize it as yes it's apples and oranges it's a rivalry between apples and oranges. Miyazaki really doesn't like these oranges, or he he really, you know, <laughs> sees the incredible intrinsic value in the artistry of the apple. What are these oranges doing here? They're commoner fruits, like, you know, exaggerating here a little bit. But it's, you know, with all that about it being a, like, it's a adaptation of a serialized, um, you know, series. I'm looking at, like, the... Um, the like animated uh, highest grossing films in Japan uh, list. And you have Demon Slayer at the top, but then you have to get, you skip down five to get a Doraemon movie and then skip down another two uh, to get the first Pokemon movie. Um, and then Pokemon and Dragon Ball and Detective Conan and One Piece are kind of sprinkled in there. But, you know, the top have been your your Miyazaki and, um, you know, Shinkai, um, these kind of movies that would, you know, in the academic circles, probably more be capable of acquiring the mythical title of film versus, you know, the Doraemon or Pokemon or even Demon Slayer, you know, movies probably wouldn't you know be able to get that that classification if in the academic
0: circles yeah so you sort of you sort of see you kind of see where i'm going with with it right you kind of yeah sort of agree that it's it's
4: almost uh, like yeah absolutely like it's it's almost this culture war um you know or subculture war i guess um, you know, Miyazaki as I think I've I've mentioned on this podcast before, like he's kind of memified famous for saying anime was a mistake. And, you know, I don't think that he's he's made a a secret of the fact that, you know, he's not interested in, you know, the the serialized uh, shonen or shojo um, you know, pop um anime series. He's he's an, you know, into animation. He's interested in animation as a medium but um you know he's he's always considered these things separate but because they are both animation in some respect it's this interesting um you know the rivalry has almost become this sort of auteur um as as matt, Ar- matt alt um wrote it's this sort of you know the more artistry you know your shinkai your miyazaki um uh, hasoda to a to an extent um you know, competing with, you know, adaptations of, you know, again, the pop anime, the Dragon Ball, the Demon Slayer, the My Hero Academia. Um, and I, it looks like he's finally seeing this as like a rivalry, um, I guess a little bit more seriously and and thinking, oh, there's, there's a certain amount of market share um, or maybe even just public consciousness of, you know, I want... Um, people to see, you know, my more art, artful movies. Um, And I mean that more of a literary sense, not necessarily the the actual drawings on, on the screen. Um, And I think that's fascinating um, to see. And I'm curious if it is a cultural shift or if it's, if it is an anomaly and I don't think we'll find out for
0: maybe years. That's the thing. I'm not totally sure it's an anomaly at this point. I'm not sold. This could be a shock, a shock to the system. There's many different shocks coming. So this is just yet another one, the way I'm beginning to look at it.
2: It's interesting and, thinking on Jeff's point, though, Mike. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about uh, the one quote they said, basically, about Demon Slayer in Japan. Basically, in three months, as Matt Alt said, they did what it took Hayo uh, Miyazaki's spirit away to do in 19 years and counting. And so that's a big first, obviously, for them. And it is a first kind of in Japan, in my mind, because it almost brings us back to the best animation feature in the Oscars, right? How we're like, oh, we hope maybe an anime might be uh, nominated. And even if it is nominated, it's never going to be the Disney machine or the Pixar machine or whatever, because for a long time, they just had a, the Open Academy Day. And they're like, OK, what are my kids like? We're going to vote for that and stuff like that. And, and so those people, people have admi-
4: those people have admitted to not watching the animated films. Like it's it's a joke, and most of the animation industry sort of acknowledges that it as a joke. And but I they know still- they <laughs> have.
2: Te- and I know they have up Jeff, obviously recent years and stuff like that. But it's still tough for I'd say an, a film like um, Miyazaki's or more orator artistic film to break through and stuff like that in my mind and this is kind of one of those few times we'll see how it goes in the future for japan but that this type of more mainstream one just kicks it into gear and stuff like that kind of like as we've seen with uh, the past decade or decade and a half of the marvel universe and stuff like that where it's like now they kicked into the gear and bam 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 they got their summer blockbusters right like
4: Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse did well from from what I remember. And I think that that's mm-hmm. like the biggest comparison I can see where, you know, it's this, um, this movie based on a franchise. It gets a lot of respect. It's um, a commercial thing. It really yeah, is
0: a commercial thing.
4: Yeah. Um, I think it's a little bit more independent. Like you didn't have to have read um, any Spider-Man or seen any other Spider-Man movies to appreciate like, the plot or the the messages there, but it's still this instance of you know here's this comic book property that is making this very popular, fairly successful movie. Uh, not as successful as Demon Slayer, but um, you know that's the closest thing I can think of, especially in the animation realm.
2: And I guess mm-hmm. it's interesting because you forget about Spider Man, it's like how big Marvel and stuff like that, but it definitely had a different vibe watching that movie than probably any other animated Spider Man or marvel or dc animation we had seen probably before
0: yeah
3: arguably the best animated spider-man ever oh yeah yeah Mm spider-verse
0: i i I mean i enjoyed it i've seen it yeah
1: soundtrack was great
0: soundtrack was great the whole idea was great i thought it was just a well executed that was just so well executed and it opens up uh unlocks a whole bunch of possibilities to come, and they're starting to work on that.
3: I regret not seeing. You got the video game. Sorry. I regret not going to see it in theaters. I'm okay. pretty
1: sure. I'm pretty sure they'll show it again. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm sure the yeah, movie theaters have to recover for some special engagement. Yeah.
2: Mm I'm sure G-Kids can bring back Ghibli films every year, uh, bring them back out of the vault. I'm sure a few others, like Spider-Verse and a few others, hopefully will come back. and It'll be a nice little treat for those who do want to see it in a limited run, right? I just want to see Mm -hmm.
3: Ponyo in Japanese, man. Like, they always play it in English. And the English dub is good, (laughs) and I've seen it in English, but I just want to watch it in Japanese once.
4: Which one was that, Ponyo? Anio, Anio. Yeah, Betty White distracted me so much in the English dub of that. Like, you know, it was, <laughs> it was fine, but I'm it's kidding. like, oh, hey, Betty White's under the water. Cool. Um, like, I I know that we've we've touched on this already, but like, I'm still incredibly fascinated um, with that quote that James mentioned from the Matt Ar- Alt article. That like this this movie is just a direct continuation of a franchised or a, a serialized series, which. All of the other, like even if I look at the other, um, you know, series, or you know, series uh, movies based on series like um, Pokemon and Dragon Ball, um, you know, those might have very vague connections. Um, Detective Conan, even though it's part of a series, you know, because of the the way that series is set up, they can function independently. Same with same with One Piece. Like it may fit in yeah. continuity, but a lot of these essentially are filler. Um, I'm trying to Stand-alone, think. alone really? Yeah, like I'm. Yeah, I, respect. I don't even yeah. know if an American movie of any kind, live action or, or otherwise, like I'm, I'm sure there are examples, um, have just done a straight up like plot continuation. Like just imagine if like Game of Thrones, instead of season eight, were just going to make a movie. This is how you experience the end of the series. Um, I know Demon Slayer isn't the end, but um, for for a situation where. A uh, plot continuation is the highest grossing like animated film. I just find fascinating just from a, you know, as that article said, like it inherently alienates like so many people, but
0: that didn't matter. Yeah. Like, the thing is, yeah, it's it's pretty unforgiving, Kevin.
3: Yeah. I was thinking there, are, I can think of a couple of examples, but not where they stick it in the middle of the narrative. If they ever do sequel movies, it's usually at the end. And that concludes the franchise, or so we think. In the case of *Monica Magica*,
4: but and and *Firefly*, right? Like there was ah, like, uh,
3: the, yes, I
1: think that *Full, full, full Metal Alchemist* kind of did the same thing, right?
3: Uh, no, <laughs> no, they <laughs> those didn't. two were kind of standalone series. The first series, yes, yeah. Like, so the argue that that wasn't needed. Honestly, I feel like the ending of the original TV series was serviceable on its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? I guess there's Samurai X, Trust and Betrayal.
2: That was Although a they never prequel, did, but
3: they never did fully adapt Ronin Kenshin in anime format. They never did,
0: and they never did the transition into that. That was like Trust and Betrayal was very much standalone. The TV series, the original TV series, ended without so much of a real mention of that. I think the only hint you got was when. At the end of the Kyoto Saga, Kenshin visits Tomoe's grave and we get a hint of it, but there's no further acknowledgement aside from that scene. Yeah,
3: because the Kenshin anime got cancelled.
0: Yeah, they, it just, it just started to spin, spin wheels at that point. And, and
4: I also think that, like, Conqueror of Shambhala for Full Metal Alchemist or, or Serenity, I don't think they would be considered wildly successful. Um, nope, it's the other totally we're not. like, I think there, they're, you know, you can probably find smatterings of plot continuations or or things like that in the history of, of movies and film. But I don't think any are, you know, great, you know, you know, financially success, like with animation, Steven Universe kind of did that in the middle. Um, but, you know, that's more of a direct to digital, like it had a few screenings. Um, oh. But, you know, it's not something that's going to be, you know, incredibly, you know, successful. Like, as as popular as that series is, it was very niche, like, more so than something like Demon Slayer. Um, but it wasn't, you know, shooting above its weight class, so to speak, which Demon Slayer did and succeeded despite all the, you know, problems that come with no one who hasn't seen it knows what's going on.
0: yeah. Well, here's the thing. First of all, it acknowledges the bingeability and how how it became bingeable during the pandemic. And I'm I'm not I'm not uh, delusional to think. Would this have happened if the pandemic didn't happen? Probably or maybe not. that's an irrelevant question to ask because it did. So. Let's not speculate on that. There's no point speculating on that,
2: because it did happen. I think the other key thing, Mike, that helps the bingeability and people going is that they did get it on Netflix and stuff like that. If it had stayed on Funimation and Crunchyroll, they probably wouldn't have gotten the biggest boost, which is Netflix, uh, I think. Hundred percent. The uh, more 100%.
1: The, the, so, the accessibility of the show is what made it so popular.
0: So it's less so to you guys it's less COVID and more Netflix. Yeah, would you maybe say that?
2: A, a bit of both? As they yeah, say, I there's a, of a lot more. of things that helped it. I think that all together kind of yeah. pushed it further than it probably ever would without. So,
3: so
0: or would you say it's all perfect storm? Yeah, just a perfect storm. I think you, so. You could have, you still could have gotten a good chunk of it if if the pandemic didn't happen. And well, I think you, maybe you're right. Netflix is the uh, key thing in this equation
1: because because everyone who is on animation or on Crunchyroll is already gonna watch it, right? So it's like trying to get that extra bit. Uh recommend to the person who's not on Crunchyroll who's everyone has Netflix, so it's that extra boost, right?
0: It's not yeah it's not it's not a bit, it's a chunk. Probably yes. and probably bigger than any any of the other other places that that's been combined. So I think that's a fair point to bring it up that in those terms. Okay, let's one last point. And as I said, this is a meaty, meaty article, and we can take a bunch of different different angles on this and talk for a very long time, well, I guess this has been our main story, but I do want to acknowledge one last part, and it's coming back to the whole culture shock thing. First of all, Matt Alt kind of weaves a little explanation about the success of Shonen Jump and how it became the original bingeable, uh, yeah, bingeable medium. Because that's sort of how they decided on the success and, or how they compiled the success of their various titles. A lot of hit and misses, the ones that do compi- the ones that do become hits get compiled into their into their graphic novels into bingeable form, quote unquote. And then as I said, on the topic of culture shocks, it's worth noting, and I, I didn't know this coming in. We don't really know much about Demon Slayer's creator, do we? Not it's really. the name And the name suggests the creator could be either a man or a woman, or non-defined.
3: Uh, the, the article states how there was another news article in Japan that quoted a dump employee who describes the author as a female in their 30s. So you know it's par for the course that we that some of the best Shonen Jump titles are made by women, like uh, Blue Exorcist or D Gray Man, or we think but, more in non Shonen Jump uh, Full Metal Alchemist.
4: But but Kevin, how can these women understand the hearts of boys? <laughs> <laughs>
2: All they have to do is get the jump formula, right? And the editors will be happy. No, uh, The
1: magic formula.
3: Jeff is referencing how in multiple articles, uh, because Shonen Jump is generally regarded as a boys club, so to speak. And multiple people have been quoted saying how, like, yeah, women don't understand the heart of boys. To, to the to the
4: point where it's like a direct quote, like within Baku Man, which is like, oh, yeah. very self aware. That's distressing, <sighs> but <laughs>
0: but it brought out it brought out some interesting points. Jump has not doesn't has never had a female editor in its well, history, as far as we as far uh, if you're like according to the article,
3: and that's the statement. And I point.
0: never really thought of it about you know that. Like I, I, I get it. We, it's, it's there, but it, it didn't really register with me in that sense, at least specifically when it came to jump. We, we know there's, we can have a long discussion about misogyny. I get it. Sexist, sexism, misogyny. I get it. I never, it's just, I never really thought of it when it came to jump. Although, in in a lot of respects, it just doesn't surprise me. But here we are. The single most popular title, the one that could be the breakthrough, the real shock to the system, is written by a female.
2: And At least maybe, potentially. It'll by change a uh, the thoughts within Jump because a lot of it could be Japanese culture and stuff like that, where it's like, well, if it isn't broke, we're not going to fix it. This is our golden goose. Our success is always run and done the way we've done it it's like we have the formula but hopefully they can break that pattern you know what i mean but it's a tough thing and it's It's interesting so jeff
4: and if the author is a woman how much of choosing an androgynous pen name was because of you know not wanting their success to be at risk if they were you know seen as a woman like you know there's that there have been successful Mm -hmm. you know more obvious female authors, um, you know, in in Japan writing shonen series, um, you know, Fullmetal Alchemist is probably the the most noteworthy there. But, um, you know, within that shonen jump, you know, as as Kevin mentioned, Boys Club, you know, could that have been a factor of choosing that pen name, or you know, maybe they they don't identify as as you know woman as far as the Japanese uh, culture maybe mandates. Like, there's so many possibilities. And, you know, it, it's interesting, like, hearing that made me more interested in Demon Slayer than I ever have been. Um, you know, I've heard, as as um, Matt wrote in the article, that there are good elements to the character, but the fact that the main female is literally gagged has turned me off from that kind of, you know, perspective. But, you know, hearing that there's a possibility it's it's a woman author at least has me steering back on the interest and i I do think i'll get around to the series um but i did want to uh quickly mention on that um the the editor front there i think that a big part of that is how often do people think about editors anyways um i think that they're very you know unsung heroes of the the medium of comics especially you know serialized more mass market comics and even north american comics where the editors are more well known they're not as well known as the the artists or writers and i think in japan i don't know if anyone could name a single manga editor at least in north america
0: no that's a fair point but still it's it's important
4: that... that women hopefully be able to get into that um shonen jump or you know specifically um you know, it just in in my opinion, at least, especially if there's a literal barrier of, you know, oh, they don't understand boys, so they can't. Um, but I, I do know that other shonen series do have women editors. It's it's just, um, to my knowledge, it's just Shonen Jump that kind of has that mentality.
1: Hmm.
0: Well, you know, when as we as I go through read that part of the story, I started to think about GamerGate and ComicsGate in a in a broader sense. And realize, <sighs> how did that happen? Sometimes, because the mar- because girls game. Girls read comics. Girls read shonen comics. Like, okay, I get it. Sometimes for boys, but girls can get into it. It's happened. It, it it's had to have happened here. If it, if it for Demon Slayer at least, if it got to that point to have seen its success. And for a lot of the other, a lot of other Shonen Jump titles, it couldn't have been just fueled by boys.
3: Oh yeah, hundred percent.
0: So, as I said, we'll put up the link to the article on the New Yorker. Could be within a paywall, although you might be able to get a a free look at, art, at different articles. It's a good read. If you really enjoyed Pure Invention, it's written almost with the same tone that Pure Invention was written. It's Matt Alt. James, we got to get him back. We got to get him uh, to to visit us again soon. We got to talk with him in another episode before the end of 2021.
2: I guess we'll have to see what uh, the schedule holds for us all, right? Right. Let me give a final thought.
0: And in many ways, I'll give, uh, I'll tell this story to Matt as well, because he knows sometimes whenever I see something and I let him know, he at least is a good actor in showing some curiosity in what I found out. (laughs) One of the episodes of Midnight Diner on Netflix depicts the trials and tribulations of, I think it was a season three episode, of a a wannabe manga artist. It's a really funny episode about how he comes into the world, into the manga world with so much hope gambling his entire future on his success as a manga artist. And then in the in the 30 minutes, or the 20-some-odd minutes of the episode, you see how everything comes crashing down on him. And by the end of the episode, he's completely broken. Like how his personal life, his professional life, everything, it just completely declines on him as he finds out he sucks. And at the beginning of the episode, you see another wannabe manga artist who was completely broken, leaving the diner supposedly for the last time. The common thread between these two characters, Yuen, is an editor. And you find out, and to me, the story ends up being, maybe in many respects, or or, though not totally, the editor kind of failing them too. And by the end of it, by the end of both instances, both, for both of these artists, that editor is actively avoiding the broken artist both times. But, it's, but it, the episode becomes cyclical because by the end, the, the, uh, the guy who is now who came in with so much hope and is now broken is about to leave the diner for the final time, giving up. But then the first artist, who I told you at the beginning of the episode was broken, comes back in with a renewed hope and seemingly a lot wiser for the experience. And he just says to the now broken writer, just get your life back together. Your pen will wait for you. And then all the while he leaves and then you see the uh, editor coming out from the the corner realizing it's him and then he quickly hides. (laughs) It is both Sad and very humorous to have watched that episode. And if I'm going to recommend at least one episode of Midnight Diner, although I recommend the enti- all 50 episodes of the television series, maybe that's one worth watching in that context, just in the context of everything I taught, uh, we just talked about. Because, yes, there's also a story about, like there's another entry in the article about how would-be writers kind of go through a boot camp of sorts if they want to be a jump writer. As I said, this it, Demon Slayer is proving there's merit to the boot camp, to the Juggernaut. And maybe that's the concern Miyazaki now sees. Okay, on that note, let's go through the other bullets we had related to Demon Slayer. And they're, it's it, they are both related to the movie itself. So on Thursday, Polygon mentioned that the Demon Slayer movie will stream exclusively on Funimation. Way to go, Funimation. There's using your power right there. It oh, won't whoa. stream anywhere else. Not on Crunchyroll, not on Netflix. Get your subscription now, $5.99 a month. Yeah, that's I, I
1: just, I can't, I honestly, I can't wait till Funimation isn't like doing streaming anymore. Because their interface is just so garbage. Like, it's just not good. I'm watching this new show, uh, Full Dive, and it's just... I would love to watch it on on, on Crunchyroll but no fucking motivation man.
3: Yeah, it's kind of wonky at times. They've made different changes throughout the years and nothing seems to stick. And How is the, How's the new too, app? Oh sorry, the other thing too is that yeah, it remains to be seen whether or not they're going to like you have to pay for the subscription to watch it or if they'll just make it for free.
0: Yeah, there's no word if it's on the free tier. I
2: think it actually probably you'll you'll have to have paid up basically to watch it because they did a similar thing with uh, Goblin Slayer last year on October thirty first, and they said okay, it's streaming this day, and you can only watch it this day for the dub, and if you didn't pay, then good luck. It's like it's basically like Disney Plus exclusive or something, right? And that's what we call move on, right? So it's an exclusive engagement for those who obviously couldn't make it to theaters like uh, s i I pier uh, when they closed all the theaters. So it's kind of like, okay, this is your movie, but from home. And you have one day.
0: Well, I think, but something tells me the state, the sticks there for a while on, at least on Funimation. Worth noting also, yeah, you can download to own. That's an option. If you're willing to pay the 20 or so dollars for it,
2: many are. But uh, Although- in regards to the interface, it's like, it's okay, but I know what people said. I'm not sure. Mo, have you watched uh, any of the show on the new app they've just released on some of the platforms over the past uh, month or couple of months?
1: No, just the web, the web, the web interface.
2: Oh, okay, the web. Okay, I'm not sure if they've improved that one. They improved the apps and stuff like that. But yeah, PC might be a question mark.
0: Mm-hmm. See... As I said, you can you can still download to own, and there'll be options. It's just that the only streaming provider it's Funimation. Get
1: your
2: subscription now. I wonder it, if you can download to own, Mike, because when you do these type of one day special engagements, I wonder do they turn it off or something like that? Because they want those people to stay on there. It always makes me wonder. Well, it says it
0: says well it says the streaming begins on what June twenty second, so uh, on Tuesday. If you're to believe the Polygon article, say the download to own VOD is also on the 22nd. And it just sounds like you will have the option, it, like once it's on Funimation's platform, it'll stay there. I don't think there's a, an exclusive limited aga- engagement at the very least. The likely scenario I could foresee is that might be the only place you could see it, at least on the streaming platform. If you're willing to pay for a rental, pay pay for a, a limited rental VOD, pay for download to own, that option is there. But a strict re- a strict stream, no extra cost aside from the subscription, animation. That's that's just what I'm seeing. And they have the rights; it's their right. Because, as Wu Tang so eloquently states. Oh.
1: <laughs> anyway. no, we need to like pre-record that and have like inserted at this moment, huh?
0: Oh, well, you know the deal. I mean that. I mean that could be the way that that is just 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 a way to try and get that. Where does where does Funimation rank among anime consumers right now? Probably below to. Crunchy. Probably below Netflix. Oh hell yeah! Like it's not anywhere it's it needs something this is something
1: it needs to be integrated to something else i
0: mean you need more than that i suppose but
2: and the crazy thing is both of them and depending on how crunchyroll and funimation if the merger does happen will they be incentivized to actually improve their services and stuff like that because people have complained on both services for number and number of years and stuff like that, and it's like, could you put some money into improving your interfaces and stuff like that and make it better? And every time we feel like we make a jump, it doesn't feel like a jump at all and stuff like that. And then you see the big boys like Netflix and other things, where it's like, this is what we want. You guys now have that capital. Can you make it happen? If you say you want to actually compete against them. Hmm.
0: I mean, the, I mean, both are could become Sony what a name to be tied to but it's glitchy sometimes uh, kind of like playing a kind of like playing a uh, playstation 1 disc back in the day for me just
2: imagine uh, people trying to watch uh, the funimation app on their ps5 and they're like i have this great machine from sony but why does their streaming service suck so much isn't that the, isn't that the irony
0: Anyway, well, as I said, this is a this is a, we're talking about uh, watching it digitally. On the topic though, of DVDs, Blu-rays, and otherwise physical media, the Blu-ray and DVDs have been or became available in Japan over the past week, and when you combine it all, one million in three days, one million sales—not bad.
1: I'm sorry, Michael. How, how much was that again? One more time?
2: One million.
1: That's right. A whole one million.
2: And some of those were DVDs, which is kind of crazy, considering they said over uh, outside of Japan that DVD is dead. No one will buy those. But supposedly on top of 268,000 limited edition Blu-rays, 201,000 regular edition Blu-rays, they got 115,000 there. Obviously, these numbers are larger now limited edition DVD, and then they have a regular edition DVD, DVD that's old. Uh, Just, like, that tactile, like, that Was 200, 218,000 regular mm-hmm. edition uh, DVDs, it sounds like. But that's interesting that, as you said, those DVDs still went out the door as well, and they were done separately. So and it, it that shows sp- the power of Japan, too, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of speaks to
0: how... That the idea to me that some, there are aspects of Japanese life, technologically people will come into, the Japanese people will, will as a society, as a whole will come into kicking and screaming.
2: And it feels we like hate. it definitely crossed generations, didn't it? And that shows yeah. it again, doesn't it? I wouldn't be surprised, ironically, if they had released a VHS, VHS tape of Demon Slayer. And they probably could have sold a hundred thousand. Ironically, you know that's ridiculous, but
0: that's hilarious. That's a hilarious thought, and I cannot dismiss that. Now that now that we've brought it up, I I can't dismiss that. It wouldn't it wouldn't sell badly. So fair point. Fair point. It's just keep in mind that mentality to collect exists amongst us here in the West too. Yes or no, right? I'd say very much so. Still. So, first of all, do we have a sense... I haven't taken a good look. Do
2: do we have a sense of a Blu-ray coming of the movie? At some point, but it's probably going to be like they did with the series. So it's going to be Anaplex first, and they're going to do their special limited edition, which is going to be more expensive. And if we're lucky... Maybe it'll be the end of the year, so maybe November, December, but it could be early next year. And then once they have the window over, just like they did with uh, the TV series, there probably is going to be a cheaper regular edition released by uh, Funimation a few months uh, down the road once they've gotten uh, their limited edition money through uh, Aniplex. But the interesting Hmm. thing of Aniplex properties, Demon Slayer is the only one where they've had cross-company uh, releases, no other Aniplex title has had that except Demon Slayer so far, which is yeah. intriguing. Yep, and
0: and even and they could price it through the roof, and I think they'll be happy with the sales.
2: I that's, think they got the, the sales thinking. on Aniplex, and they probably got the sales on Funimation. So,
1: mm-hmm.
2: all Wu
0: Tang astutely points out. Okay, so we're talking. we're talking physical items. Here's a kind of intriguing story, and uh, Kevin kind of mentioned it. This was earlier this month. Shueisha has, and this is still on Demon Slayer. Shueisha has tried to trademark six clothing patterns from Demon Slayer. I guess based on various characters' outfits. And they went fifty percent, or fi- they batted five hundred. So three of them were approved to be trademarked. Three of them denied, and they're all ba- and they they are based on the outfits of various characters. Miyoka, yeah. Kocho, uh, Shinobu, and Kyojiro. Kyojiro. their patterns were approved, but of the main characters, Zenitsu, Z- uh, Netsu Netsuko, Tanjiro, nope. This is odd. This is one of those very odd stories I hear. I mean, I guess with the popularity of cosplay and dollar dollar bill y'all hear too, right? I yep. guess there's not some there's and there's money to there could be money to be made if you play if Shuisha plays their cards right.
3: And yep. I guess they're trying to play their cards because plenty of people have made money, you know, making t-shirt prints or on outfits or just using the print for whatever thing like that's people have been profiting off of it so joe is trying to do whatever they can to protect their assets
0: and maybe
2: increase them can't blink. i, I guess kind of interesting though when you look at the designs too right and i know kevin Fry looks at a number of designs when he's uh, seen different clothing and stuff like that but they said for the reason for rejection for the three, was that basically relative simplicity and uh, ubiquity of the designs was the reason for those ones being rejected compared to the others. And in the mind's eye, it's like, really? And I'm still not sure when I look at all six.
3: You know, Kyodoro should have been rejected too. I think his is very simple. Uh, and then, yeah, Tanjiro and... Zenitsu's are very basic as well as is Nezuko's Shinobu and Gyu's, you can argue that are unique enough and warrant that trademark The it's only one big. that
4: the only one that I would completely reject is the one that's just the checkerboard green and black yeah. um like just from from like you know an art and design standpoint like there's there's no way I think that you could blanket that as as being protected The others, I think, have varying degrees of, you could argue, for or against them, but I I can't see why they thought it
0: would work to copyright uh, green and black squares. Mm -hmm. I guess I'd have to see what history would have said about kimono and and happy uh, happy quotes. Did I get that right? Am I pronouncing that right? I
3: think so. Well, it did work for Christian Louboutin. Mm
0: Mm-hmm
3: having the red soles on the bottom of the shoes and heels. Well, but like
4: a lot of these things really depend on context, right? Like, you know, Home Depot famously, you know, they own that type of orange, but like mostly, you know, no other hardware or related field can use that. It's not like if you happen Mm -hmm. to paint a painting in that, mostly that color, they're going to sue you if the painting is of an actual orange or of a fish or, you know, something like that. Um... But, you know, it's difficult um, when it, I I, th- I think it gets more challenging when you get, you're you getting into things like fabric patterns.
0: Hmm. Okay. If people are finding this kind of a dickish thing for Shueisha doing, wanting to do, can I play a yes or no? And it is ultimately apples and oranges, but I just want to see what level it is when I make this comparison. You want to play yes/no for a second? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, yes or no. This is about as dickish as Kim Kardashian trying to trademark the term kimono for her slimwear, because that was a controversy within the last year. Because she actually tried, like, she actually came out with a line of slimwear, calling it kimono
3: wear. Less dickish.
1: I think it's one of those uh, well-timed marketing ploys where they know the outrage is gonna happen and then they just pull it back and then they release their stupid alternative name. You know, double the press.
0: So you think you think that was just that was just for a publicity stunt.
1: I mean you can't be that dumb, right?
2: Well that's a uh, family she, right? She, uh, she, yeah, she, like I mean
0: she's... I mean we can make the argument uh, Kim Kardashian plays one on television, but if she's somehow ma- managed to amass the, the that type of empire, she ain't an idiot. Damn straight. So she's, she's done something. Her or her mother or the people around her. She's at least smart enough to know how to handle this.
4: I don't think that that move was completely without merit. I do think it was tone deaf, but like if you had a specific, you know, a very specific design and style and you wanted to call that kimono and then said, no one else can make a similar type of clothing to this, especially if it wasn't overtly, um, you know, based on an actual kimono and call it kimono. I think that, you know, there's at least a leg to stand on, maybe not two, but you know one rickety wooden leg i think that you know that's that's safe to say mm-hmm. um but I, I think yeah i think this is still less <laughs> less of a dickish move
2: okay sounds like we're all in agreement Mike. just a yeah, less yeah. Uh, dickish move rookie. and stuff like that
0: i just wanted to be yeah i know and you know no dick immunity here although we'll, we'll probably be talking about that just Towards the end.
2: But okay. hey, uh, Demon Slayer has lifted all boats, right? There was an article a few weeks ago about the canned coffee, uh, Demon Slayer, and that was uh, lifting uh, the waters of that company and stuff like that because they had characters on the cans and people wanted all the characters, right?
0: Now you're making me think BTS and McDonald's. <sighs> okay, I think we're done our Demon Slayer talk this week. How do we do there?
2: pretty good pretty good
0: You managed yeah. to get
2: off the train right
0: yeah we did and now we're in Well, we do we did mention this is all an all bullets episode they were well that was a cannonball there let's let's go with the rest of the bullets that we planned for the evening digital manga service azuki launches june 28th this was mentioned on anime news network you gave also a blog post in relation to this one james so walk
2: me through this one so this one was announced uh, this week and it's a uh, digital manga service, a new one that's going to uh, launch on June 28th. It's going to be on iOS and Android mobile. And then the other thing that I haven't seen, I feel from Mangamo and others is that it, they'll have a PC uh, based version as well. And it's going to be the subscription model that you can go in all you can eat. They've made a deal with Kodansha and if you look at the Anime News Network article, they got a very big chunk of the Kodansha catalog. Plus, they're going to be doing uh, simul, publish, simul pubs of Kurt uh, Kodansha properties and stuff like that. And then I'm guessing they're going to have some other uh, publishers involved as well. But it looks like, uh, given just the Kodansha content, it's going to be a big amount to out, hopefully, on the 28th. And the other interesting thing... If you look at their site based on who's involved, it's some former uh, Crunchyroll uh, contributors and people that work there. And I think one of them we had mentioned was Evan Minto because he's uh, done freelancing for Crunchyroll and to USA and done many panels uh, at many different conventions. Yeah. yeah,
0: like he's everywhere. But I mean, I, I do know the name. I'm just not familiar with everything, but I'm aware of that name.
2: But I feel like some of them, even on the Crunchyroll side that may have worked there, I, if they had worked on the uh, manga side of Crunchyroll, Crunchyroll had the ability to make something like this happen, but it feels like they just gave up. They put up a few Kodansha mangas and a few other mangas from other publishers, like uh, Fuda Bashi, I believe it was, but they never continued any further. They still have new manga that happens to come up every week, but not that much. And it's kind of puzzling to say the least. Sort of like remember when I gave that thought about
0: Sony having all the components to make to become the leader in the smartphone revolution, but not putting it all together. Sort of like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then the other, key a factor. smaller degree, I get. It. This is a smaller scale. I get that, but that's what
2: I link. That's what I liken it to. And Missed other...
0: opportunities. Mm-hmm. Sorry, James.
2: I guess uh, that's true, too, and stuff like that, that they took what they did. They were going further on that. But the other thing it looks like they got from all the partners that they went with is that this will be uh, English only, obviously, at the moment. But it's for everywhere around the world except Japan. And I feel Uh, like a lot of other publishers... I'm not sure about Mongamo and a few of the other digital publishers, but I feel like there are more region restrictions for them. It isn't like only Japan is restricted. I feel they have more restrictions on where they can show their English versions so this is kind of a better a larger blanket larger blanket, and you also can do p c which can be good for some people on different tablets and stuff like that because not every i know people smartphones are ubiquitous but I like to do it either on a tablet or on a PC and stuff like that.
0: Okay, educate
2: me for a couple seconds here. Let's go through the
0: services as they are now. Online, digital. Manga Mo. Shonen Jump. Manga Planet. Utakia, with Manga Planet. Manga Plus. Azuki, coming up. Is there any other names I should be aware of? Manga Plus. Because I, I, I have trouble keeping up sometimes.
2: Kevin mentioned Manga Plus, which I believe is associated with uh, Shonen Jump. And those ones I least know on Shonen Jump but and stuff like that, that they do have a free component and stuff like that. And all the other ones. And even uh, Azuki do not have. Well, actually, Azuki does have a free component now that I look at it. Is it says that uh, they will allow subscribers to read manga without ads. And that's four ninety nine US per month. But they said uh, they can access select chapters with advertisements. Whereas um, Shonen Jump and Manga Plus, I believe, Kevin, as you said, there aren't ads. But you can access it for free for only a limited time when the chapter is released. So
3: Manga Plus is Shueisha's initiative. And uh, I don't really, the ads are very unobtrusive if at all. I don't think there are any ads actually. I don't know. I don't remember, but uh, yes, that's the thing. They do give you either the... They always give you the first three chapters for free, and then they'll give you the last three or last six chapters for free, depending on the title. Okay. And then there also are some uh, Manga Plus exclusives on there that uh, they're probably from some of the other magazines in Shueisha's catalog that Viz probably chose not to license like there are some Shonen Jump titles that didn't get licensed like Hinamaru Sumo or Teenage Renaissance David for example Uh, there's also Anchor Comics which I don't like to bring up because those are, that's the former manga rock people in terms of other services uh my question simple. with azuki is will I have a free option will I be able to read the latest chapter for free
2: and I think that's what they'll have with the ad support and stuff like that and the other thing is as we said how many uh, how long will that uh, last for ad support and it may be similar to what we've seen in the past but the other thing as we know uh, with Kodansha and maybe even with some other things is some of the series they mentioned have only been digital only and we might never see a physical release of some of the titles.
3: Okay, okay. Good to know that there is... uh, They'll probably do like latest chapter for free or something and they'll probably give you at least like the first couple chapters for free because I know... Because it really depends with Kodansha because Kodansha has never been one to really let their content be free for like, for a long stretch of time, you, got, you usually have to pay for some sort of service, like with, like, Mangamo or with Comixology. And that's another thing I want to bring up. The Comixology-exclusive titles are not included. So there is no Beck, there is no Tramps Like Us, there is no Drops of God, there is no Initial D, uh, there is also no Mars, which I've got very popular in the last few months because of TikTok.
2: It'll be interesting to see if it's kind of like Epic where they paid for that exclusivity and then the window runs out and then you see it on other services and even if some of these other services might try to line up similar deals, right? Is this a could this be a deal breaker for some people? Not many, I would
3: imagine. Okay. Although it, I would have loved to have paid for this to read Drops of God rather than Amazon.
0: Yeah, I I know where you're going with that one. Well, it has my attention. Any service, like, if I can remember them. I I do want to personally get more into those myself, but only so much I can watch and read at the same time. I do. And I annoy people when I try and do both at the Mm -hmm. same time.
3: Oh, I was just going to say quickly, I do like that they will have comment threads for either series or maybe even individual chapters because uh, I feel like a lot of what has made manga popular on the internet is people commenting on the latest chapter, whether it's through pirate websites or through Reddit, on the manga subreddit, or on any individual anime or manga titles subreddit Mm -hmm. it's a good way to get people to stay on their platform
2: and to keep them engaged right
0: yeah Yeah. engagement is still worth something even if not at the outset just keeping them on the premises could help you will could help you very much somewhere else down the road
2: and it sounds like the founders this was something they wanted to make happen and stuff like that and they wanted a platform that they envisioned they would want to uh, read on and stuff like that and other fans would enjoy and probably what they envisioned maybe what Crunchyroll's uh, service could have been and stuff like that if they had constantly engaged it more and improved it you know what I mean it still feels like it was forever in beta
3: yeah they didn't give a shit that's why there wasn't anyone Mm -hmm. who cared enough I would imagine
0: yeah I don't know what else to add to this right now. It's just, there's some curiosity I admit, and there's some titles in various, under various publishers now that I've watched the anime. I wouldn't mind knowing a little bit more about the story. I think
2: engage with people, right? Cause yeah. you don't get that as much with all the publishers or all the services we had mentioned before.
3: Kevin. Yeah. I, I think this is a good start. Uh, Kodansha seems to be like the town bicycle when it comes to getting their content available. Like they would they would rather not create their own service, but they'd rather just have their stuff be as accessible as possible, which is great. Uh the key will be whether or not they can get other publishers on board because so far as I can tell, the the manga publishers really don't want to be in one service like like a manga reader's dream is to have everything on one play in one spot and like like crunchyroll was at one point and that probably won't ever happen maybe it will but there was definitely reluctance on the publisher's part to do that it seems like everyone wants to do their own thing and now we have so many different manga services, I'm interested to see who sticks around and who perseveres and who fades away.
2: But I definitely think that's true, like Jump, Shueisha and Shugaku Kai, like all of them, I think they want to stick with Manga Plus and the Jump app as well. I don't think they want to get it on other platforms, they want to control more control, I feel. And they have that more worldwide reach too with those apps too, I believe. And they do uh, other languages as well, so it's a full like, global experience, I guess.
3: Yeah,
0: and it's on brand name too. They 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 have their developed brand, and it can work out that way.
3: No Shaman King either, from the looks of it. Well, that's
0: a deal breaker for Jeff. <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> I'm I'm buying their their print
4: release, so. uh uh, I should be fine there, but although like a lot of the spinoffs are are digital um, only still, so that's it. It definitely would have had me interested. I think the only Hiroyuki Takei um, series that they mentioned was the um, Samurai Cat one, which is fine. But oh, you know, that it's, one Sugahara. Yeah, it's it's not Shaman King. It's not even Ultimo. So I, I gave the uh, gave the news a little bit of a pass.
3: <laughs> okay.
0: Well, we should pa- we should uh, continue and uh, finish passing by this uh, piece of news. Although, okay, this apparently made some headway and some talk this week. We'll I'll, let me read the first uh, line of the Anime News Network article and then see how we transition from there. Batman made headlines on Monday when Har- on Harley Quinn showrunner Justin Halpern revealed. That in the adult animated comedy show's third season, a reference to Batman performing Kunalingus on Catwoman was vetoed by DC Comics. And one thing leads to another, and ultimately, the talk, or some part of the talk, ended up being, what about other comic book characters, and then in turn, animation characters and anime characters, and then the talk eventually turned to various Gundam characters, namely Char. And for a response, we ended up digging out, or it was—I think it was Surat—ended up digging out an old, early '90s interview with Yoshiyuki Tomino,
2: and it was from and, uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Char's Counterattack fan book of all things. Okay, you can—you guys carry this because my mind is
0: still boggled by this. Okay, and and really, I didn't all get a chance to read everything because I was still digesting the Matt Alt article. Okay. Help me out
3: here. So, because this is hilarious. On June fifteenth, there was some discussion on Twitter. There was a user named some clever pun on Twitter who posed the question: "Does tar will eat pussy?" Has Tomino said anything on this? Some people said my instinct says no, but then Daryl Surat mentioned that. There is absolutely an interview with Yoshiyuki Tomodoro where he talks about how the son of Zeon Daikun definitely eats pussy. They they were asking him about Char's counterattack in the scene with him and Nanai sharing drinks. I don't have a link now, but you should be able to find it. That is a direct quote. Response, LMAO hell yeah. I will 100% take your word for it. And then Daryl later wrote, it's 1245 a.m., and of course, there is no way I will be able to go to bed if I do not find the quote from Yoshiyuki Tomino about how <laughs> it is a central tenant of Char Aznaval to eat pussy. This is from the Char's Counterattack fan book in which Tomino is being interviewed by Hideaki Anno, and he provided screenshots, and it received uh, almost 200 retweets. Including one from you. Yes, including one from- the- Like, I
0: could have- like as you tell this story, I could just imagine Daryl reading the script and hearing his voice as he said all that.
2: And it was an interesting. It just seems so.
0: It just seems so surat to do something like that, and I mean that in a fun way, in a hilarious way. Yes. Like <laughs> it's just, it just here and, and and do not dismiss this because. Daryl is also a freelance writer for Otaku USA. The guy knows what he's talking about. He researches. He does his work. This guy knows what he's doing. You can't dismiss it. It's tough to really dismiss.
3: It's just further proof...
0: It, and it's and, and unfortunately, it's tough for me to envision now, too. Sorry, go
2: ahead.
3: It's just further proof that Yoshiku Tomino is just one deranged man... <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was kind of interesting the interview and stuff like there were a lot of interesting quotes even the first part where tomino talks about to a certain degree as you get older you can really understand a person through that part and then it's like in uh bracket sex and at those times you can't detach sex from your thinking that's why i absolutely have to imagine that the nice vagina is like It is something I particularly think about during the script writing phase, and he goes on and on. You're like, wow, he really thinks about this. Like, it gets into details (laughs) you wouldn't even think about. And so it's kind of the polar opposite of that DC thing where it's just like, no. Well, okay, let's go to the DC part, because like, this is one of those say it
0: ain't so type of moments. Say it ain't so. And there go all the Sales for toys, like it, it's one of those. What? You can't say that because it may cut into your toy sales. the The line that DC used,
4: apparently, like I guess allegedly, was "Our heroes don't do that," which is such a bizarre way to frame it. Um, as as a lot of people online have said, if if they had said. We have concerns about you know this information getting out regarding a character who is still heavily marketed to children. That would be a bad argument, but it would be a better argument.
2: And I it say it would be
0: it would be bad, but I could take that one. Yeah, like I, I, I wouldn't
2: that because that I could, they put because it as adult animated comedy
4: show, right? Exactly. Like Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn are both on Superhero Girls um you know very sort of aggressively marketed I'm I'm guessing to like the seven to twelve crowds kind of at at most or at, at oldest. And I don't think I don't think DC would have had a problem with those characters um engaging in sexual acts of any kind on that show, at least implied. Like it's not a, a porn series. Like um so any sort of implication with, with those characters I think is would be fine. But, you know, the sacred cow that is Batman, they were so worried, which is odd. But, well, maybe not odd. It's under, it's, uh, I guess, expected. You get, on the,
0: you get it on the marketing part. But, yeah, I, can, I guess I can understand your disappointment. Is it a total dodge or is it at least a parry? A parry isn't great either, but maybe more acceptable. Yeah, exactly. You were exactly. hoping for a parry. And yeah. you were hoping for a parry when we ended up seeing a dodge, right? Pretty much, like there's, there's so many
4: other ways they could have, have said that, and I, I'm glad that that information got out. Um, we'll see if Harley Quinn gets a fourth season. Be, if oh, if boy. this jeopardizes it, um, it depends on how much money it makes, probably. But because there, there's Sorry. been you <laughs> know power through the reference. Say, yeah. Oh, absolutely, I did. Um, you know there. Famously, I think it was at the new beginning of the New 52, which was one of DC's uh, comic reboots, um, there was a somewhat famous um, Batman-Catwoman sex scene. So DC as a company is not afraid of, you know, Batman having a sexual identity. For some reason, DC is afraid of doing something, you know, more directed at female pleasure, which is the main, like... Hair pulling, you know, combined with shirt tugging—like, what are you thinking? Um, you know, saying this, but they, I don't think they intended their their words to get out there.
0: Hmm. I, I, you had me thinking though about accessibility and how much of this is wide for wide consumption, and how much of this is niche. When when you look at things like the Marvel universe and the DC universe, we think of them these days in moving picture properties, like movies, like cartoons, like television shows. But it has its base in comics, which tends to be lost on uh, most of the general public. So I get the feeling it, it just feels like, let's keep it on that part, because it's not where the general consumption is. At least when but if it, people want uh, want to find it.
4: At least when like, it yeah. At least when it comes to Batman again, I think that you know you have um, two of arguably the highest profile bisexual characters in fiction, in Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, and I feel like. Because their sexuality is, is kind of imbued into their characters at this point in, in their sort of cultural history, I feel that Warner Brothers and DC and whoever owns the parent company, whoever's the parent company in 2021, um, would see that and be like, okay, this is in line. But because of that media transfer that Batman has there, they were so afraid. Um, but I think, I think you're right. Like as was said, um, or I don't think we mentioned it, but in, in the article and has that Matt Alt wrote about Demon Slayer and has, as has been mentioned many times, manga has outpaced superhero comics, um, just as a a market share type of thing. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, how much comics can, uh, unfortunately using the term get away with, um, compared with, you know, the mainstream of, you know, these movies like in the Marvel um, uh, and DC movies. I don't think there's been an LGBT character on on the big screen, at least as far as as a superhero, arguably Wonder Woman. But I don't think anything in the canon of the films have have betrayed that fact. Um, And as you kind of get smaller, like, you know, then you go to the HBO Netflix series, you have a little bit more um, representation and then you go one step lower of CW and ABC and like, okay, here we can have your transgender characters, any sexuality you like. Um, and then when you get to the comics, it's like, yeah, there's a non-binary flash. Um, you know, there's so many, you know, Hulkling and Wiccan. We're going to outright, you know, talk about these, these characters. Um, and as you get sort of where less eyes will see them, the less the parent companies care. And I think that's sort of where it, you know, comes down to is, is Batman is seen by too many eyes and they're, they're scared. Um, versus something like Char, it's Japan, so they have a completely different <laughs> uh, relationship yeah. with sexuality.
2: And some of that's okay. probably Tomino too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it just gets interesting when, well, as you just uh, said, Jeff, the manga still the manga is becoming the lar- uh, is increasing in terms of its consumption. So there's a, another crossroads. And we talk we're, we talk a lot about crossroads within anime and manga. There's another one, probably to come.
4: Manga's never. I don't, to my knowledge, manga ha, has never had a a specific comics code of authority equivalent to the uh, equivalent to it, though. Um, I yeah, don't I know think, a lot about I think it's, Japanese publishing ahead. history, but that, that's just my assumption.
0: But it, but that code is what may have prevented a lot of these developments from happening sooner i think i could be wrong but as i said there's i think there's a lot of discussions still to come and you know we'll we'll take different angles on them as they happen i look forward to the talks to be honest in the years to come but on the topic of somebody's sex drive finally Oichi Yamadira, they announced this week he married for the third time this week when the 60-year-old Yamadira, the the great voice actor, he of Spike Spiegel fame, announced that he married DJ, announcer, model, Shoko Robin Okada, who's 28 years old. Does anyone want to say anything here? Congratulations for starters. Or do I? Or do you want me to go down like as I mentioned? This is his third marriage.
3: He was born when he was thirty-two years old. I Am doing my mental math correctly?
0: Yeah, if you if you got the math right, he thirty-one, thirty-two.
4: That's about my age, which makes this extra disturbing for me now. <laughs>
0: Like I mean, free country. I get. It. They're adults. Can we? Can we? But the thing is, it, it's just a funny. Like there, I find a bit of humor in this. I mean, good on him. Good on them. hope, hope it works out because his last two marriages certainly didn't. His first marriage was to a voice actress Mika Kanai. She's now fifty seven. His second marriage, which fizzled out a couple years ago, Rie Tanaka. She's best known to, like, we can go through her roles. I, I I remember Chi from Chobits. She's now 42. Every time he seems to be trading in for a younger. It just boggles me sometimes.
4: I think that, like you know, as as people have mentioned here, like they're they're both adults, and it's not even a situation of you know an eighteen year old or whatever the equivalent of is You're in right. Japan. So it's not and like it. There's any indication of grooming or like waiting for it to be
0: you know legal. I think it it so is that's it what is makes it less like yeah. There's no real creepiness to it. It's just I find more humor in it than anything else. Sorry.
4: Yeah, no, I, I think that as as you've kind of mentioned, I think it's the you know, as I I'm sure you've said and others have said, the uh, the sort of joke of uh trading in for the the newer model, um, I think is kind of the extent of of the uh the weirdness there. Like it's the,
2: the, yeah, looking the double take. Like 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 because I mean, as they say- said can... they worked together, right? On the radio show uh Bayline, I think it was it was after Yamadira left that that they decided to, I guess, get together and cont- uh, leave each stuff. other alone, as they said. Yeah, or weird. at least
0: uh, publicize all that, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, there's, like, like there's punchlines here, you know, he, uh, in relation to the fact he played Spike. Last Gunslinger. See you, Space Cowboy. Bang. I don't know, we can goes on and on. What are we done yet? <laughs>
2: and don't forget, as they said too, I guess you could think of it because he did play uh, Kaji in uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh, so, yes, well. Uh, his current uh, role that would be uh, big, though I don't think it would tie well. Would be supposedly he now is doing uh, Inspector Zenigata in Lupin the Third. He took over oh. after uh, Goro uh, Naya unfortunately passed away. So,
0: congratulations.
2: That's all I can say, it, it, but it, it
0: just uh, it certainly popped out when uh, these appeared on my uh, feed.
2: I guess and more of the thing is, hopefully third time is the charm, right? But with these hoped. other things, uh, you never know, right? I think this isn't as much a punchline to me
0: as it is the fact that he's had two failed marriages. Eh, it happens. It happens, yes, but that's this part isn't the, as much the part that I joke around about like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's his two failed marriages. And it, it's also a reminder. I really should get Ray Tanaka's recent photo book, which is from last year. <laughs> we'll put a, we'll put a link to at least uh, the cover, <laughs> but uh, that's about it. How do we do? How do we do with this? How do we do with the, uh, Quasi-bullets episode. About an hour and a half. Yeah, about yeah,
1: an hour and a half. 90 minutes of solid of the conversation.
2: Yeah, we had awesome. uh, Demon Slayer Palooza, which I guess is now a main topic, and then uh few bullets. three bullets.
1: <laughs> we, should, we should have like, a regular segment, Demon Watch.
3: Yeah, Demon Slayer <laughs>
0: party!
3: You know, I have to say, uh, I didn't need an article to tell me that char will ate pussy. Like, He does look like a Chad.
2: (laughs) I was going to say, you didn't need Tomono to tell you either, right? Nope.
0: I think, aren't we going to hear about Amaru at some point?
3: Well, apparently, I also saw a tweet made in that discourse where uh, the great SG on Twitter wrote, this is the same Yoshiyuki Tomino who made sure to include in the Gundam novelization that Sela gave Amuro a locket with her pubes in it after they had sex. This is super on brand for him.
0: So oh, as humorous as humorous and as bizarre as this conversation was seemingly came across do we really come away th- surprised? Not really. I mean in some res- in many respects probably not. Hey, can't wait for can't wait for the feedback on that. But uh I guess yeah. the
2: more interesting part thinking Mike is thinking how old Tomino is and he's in the same kind of generation as Miyazaki and they come at anime in very different ways in their mindset. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. You know
0: what? That's uh well, yeah. Coming back down to Miyazaki and all that. Well, Miyazaki's in his 80s. Tomino is how old is he? Well, oh, he's in his mid 70s, isn't he? Mid to late? Yeah, something, something to not that. too much. Yeah, but not too much younger. Mm-hmm. You're right. Different approaches. Yeah, one way to put it. Although and this is just coming back to the whole just to complete the whole circle for tonight and coming back to Demon Slayer. It's worth it's worth noting, remember, one more time. Demon Slayer Demon Slayer in the US is the was it the highest rate, uh, highest grossing R-rated movie ever in American theaters, and it's the number two anime in U.S. theaters of all time, behind Pokemon. Eat your heart out, Miyazaki, and Pokemon movie, you're next. Seemingly, anyway. Okay, that's all we got for this episode, because really, what else can we really add? But one more time, a reminder where you can reach us, because we'd really like the to hear some feedback from anybody who was offended. AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com, at AnimeRoundtable, AnimeRoundtable.com. And we also have a Spotify playlist, too, so check that out as well as the podcast itself there. Also, don't forget, if possible, to leave us a review... If you can, wherever you get your podcast, because reviews might help us in the algorithm and help us find new listeners.
3: Five stars, please,
0: <laughs> or four. Word of mouth also helps too. So if you if you like this, you and you know somebody who you think could find this interesting, let them know. We typically do episodes once every other week, although we may do something in our off weeks too, like we've done today. That said, subscribe to us wherever you're hearing this, so you can be notified whenever something new drops in the feed. Until next time, thanks for listening. Good day from Toronto. And join us again for another edition of the Anime Round.